we tell stories that engage, inspire, and have a lasting impact? How do we turn thoughts and ideas into effective and authentic storytelling? How can we use stories to make a difference in our work, lives, and communities? I'm your host, Camille DePutter, and together we'll explore what it means to tell stories with heart. Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling with Heart podcast. I am your host, Camille DePutter, and with me today is Lynn S. Nguyen. Lynn is a Vietnamese-Canadian immigrant and writer who specializes in children's literature and creative nonfiction. Her debut middle-grade fantasy novel, No Place Like Home, was released with HarperCollins Canada in March 2023. Lynn holds an HBA in English from the University of Toronto and an MPhil in Arts, Creativity, and Education from the University of Cambridge. I first met Lynn through a mentorship program we participated in through our alumni association, and I was so excited to see the release of her new book, which is a beautiful, fantastical story with a lot of heart. I know that many people I interact with have aspirations of writing and publishing, whether that's children's books, novels, or something completely different. And many folks are curious about how to use their own experiences as jumping off points for storytelling. So I'm really excited to have Lynn here today. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, you know, I thought we would just jump right into it. And like, could you tell me a little bit more about your own story, like your journey as a writer and how you came to get to where you are today? Yeah, so I feel like my journey as a writer starts in grade six. That was when I really started to write. And it was because I had a really good teacher who had this great assignment where once a month she would have us all hand in any type of writing. So it could be a report, diary entry, story, whatever. Uh, and she had a list on the, on the board of like all the different types of writing that exist out there. And we choose one each month and submit something. And I had so much fun with it. I think it was the first time in my life that writing wasn't presented to me in school in the context of like spelling, grammar, sentence structure, or like getting uh, the marks on like the specific criteria for an assignment. It was really just have fun with any piece of writing that speaks to you. And I did really well in those, uh, those exercises. I still kept most of my, my writing from that time in the same writing folder. And I've been doing a lot of presentations at schools these days. And the kids always like to see my grade six work, my report <laughs> on unicorns, among other things. <laughs> so yeah, it, that was really when I, when I started, um, wanting to, be a writer and feeling like I had stories of my own to tell and to explore. And I've been writing ever since I, I started, well, I wrote my first attempt at a novel. Uh, and that year I was 11. It was called Magic on a Saturday Afternoon. And I never finished it, but it was an attempt and it was the first attempt. And there have been many attempts since to get to, to this place now. Mm-hmm. Amazing. The back way back when when you were keeping those uh the the things that you handed in your writing assignments and stuff did you kind of imagine oh maybe one day one day this will be my work will be published honestly I was a very keen being as a child <laughs> so I think I did imagine it 
only, and I, I say that with certainty because I was looking through um, a grade seven scrapbook yesterday, literally yesterday, and I found a card that 12 year old me wrote to 30 year old me. And it says, Dear Lynn, I look forward to the release of your next book. So <laughs> I love that. It's just very confident and ambitious kid. Mm. <laughs> and I I think um clearly um past past me did did see that or did want to see it at least. Um because I, I I wrote that when I was 12. <laughs> I love that so much. And it must have it must have felt like a full circle moment. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was definitely really special to be like, yeah, that actually fits exactly with with who I am now. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. And so can you tell me a bit about how how you wrote the book and how you made how you made time for it? Like, were you writing full time? And and if so, how long for? How did that work within the context of your uh, whole career? So I wrote the first draft while I was working another full-time job, though it had somewhat flexible hours. I mean, I wouldn't say that it was a an easy job because it was a, a live-in position. I was working with youth at the time and, um, it it was like a packed schedule, but it was also a make your own schedule. So the moments that I could sit down and write, I could carve that out for myself a little bit more. And I wrote the first draft for NaNoWriMo-ish. Um, I mean, I cheated a little bit, but essentially it was a NaNoWriMo wow. project. Um, so- for folks who might not know what that is, can you explain? Yeah, so... NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. It happens every November, and it's an initiative that basically um, supports and gathers people to write a 50,000-word novel in one month between November 1st and November 30th uh, with the goal of um, getting a, a full first draft. And the idea is that you write 1,667 words every day to meet that target, and I, I started in late October. I started just before. So that's why I say I cheated a little bit, but essentially it was a nano primal write and I, I had it finished by November 30th. And it, uh, was a very messy first draft. A lot of things were very different, but it flowed enough that I was like, well, there's a story. There's a story in here. And then, you know, I kept working, kept doing my job. Um, this was November 2018. So the next year, I just, it kind of just sat there. I didn't do that much with it. I didn't really know what to do with it. Publishing industry is just so obscure. And I just, I, I don't know anyone or know anyone who works there. So I just had no clue what to do. It just kind of sat there. Uh, and then in 20. 20. This was September 2020. I saw, I was on Instagram and I saw a post uh, that had been shared and it was from HarperCollins that was something like, there's an open inbox and we're welcoming submissions from unagented writers of color. Uh, 
and uh, were interested in in manuscripts targeted for a middle grade audience. I was like, oh, I have one of those on my desktop. <laughs> <laughs> it's really convenient, actually, like a pretty specific call, but like I kind of met the criteria exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I just sent it in. And I cut, like, I, I took a look at my initial draft and, and cut it down a bit. So first draft was 50,000 for NaNoWriMo. Second draft when I submitted it, um, was 35,000 words. So I pretty much just stripped out like the excess and it was really just the core of the story at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, and you know, I'm not, I'm not like a falsely modest person by any means, but it was not that good a draft. <laughs> like, I don't think it was a great draft when I submitted it. And like, I'm, I was actually very surprised, um, that I got picked up because essentially in, in December, I, um, got an email from Harper, which is actually, um, framed right next mm-hmm. to me right now. Um, and it said that they're interested and they're going to take it to their larger publishing group. Um, and then I got a deal in January. So it happened relatively quickly. Uh, and unusually, I would say, because I, I wasn't really expecting a deal to come out of like, the first thing that I submitted to. Right. <laughs> right. We typically hear the opposite, right? That first of all, unsolicited manuscripts are usually not accepted. You need to have an agent and that it can take so much time and, you know, it can take just loads of rejection letters in order to get, in order to get there. I think a lot of folks who aspire to have work published have, have heard that enough times that they're bracing themselves that it could be a while, right? For sure. And I think those stories are important to tell and like, I don't know, more important to some extent because I think they're more typical. And I, I don't think that uh, if, if, I mean, I was prepared to be rejected and I was prepared to just get feedback and move on and submit to the next thing. Um, It worked out in that sense, but it's definitely something that, you know, I also heard a lot and and was prepared was prepared for. And that's kind of just the the way it goes. And it's not to say that, that it won't happen again. It's possible that my next one will not sell as easily. And so just because the first one was a a relatively more straightforward process doesn't mean that it'll be the case for the rest of my career either. Um, October, 2020 was the last time that I worked a full-time job. It was just a couple months before I got the deal. And since then, I've been working um, part-time. I've been doing contracts going on and off. I go through like stints on EI. Um, and then I, I did my master's for a year. So that took me a long time. <laughs> but um, I've been full-time authoring since the book came out in, in March this year, March 14. Hey. So yeah, it's been it's been busy, it's been hectic, but uh, I feel like yeah, I have gone back and forth a lot over the past few years. Um just trying to focus on revisions as well as balancing the money thing. Yeah, of course. And when you say that your initial draft wasn't all that great of a draft, how did it then transform to be 
the the published book that it is now. Can you give me and, and listeners a little bit of insight into what that editing process was like? Yeah, so I I relied a lot on my editor. I had a really good relationship with the people I worked with who were with Harper Collins, my publisher. And I think they pulled out, my editor Yash in particular, pulled out a lot of motivation pieces to the story or like pieces around the villain, pieces around um, the character building, the setting, um, and like bringing out my identity and the themes of home a bit more. So those were all changes that that happened in later drafts. The original draft, most of the characters were white. Um, home was not really, it was not really a, a theme in the complex and nuanced way it is now. It was a very simplistic theme. And um, she didn't, my main character didn't have magical powers. My main character was an orphan. She has a full family now. So mm-hmm. it, a lot of big changes happened um, that just like inform where she's coming from. And mm-hmm. also the side characters where they're, where they're coming from. And um, I think it, it all just serves to make it a more complex story. Cause when I set out to write it, I set out to write like a books can also feel like home story. Uh, and now it is a, what does home mean to people within the diaspora when it can be so many things story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's much more, it's much more nuanced. And yeah. that was um, largely in part to editors pulling, pulling out those threads because I find it really hard to edit my own work and I'm not sure I'll ever be capable of it. So I really <laughs> rely on those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, a big part of why, I, why I do what I do, which is it all, often involves a lot of editing and also the, the, you know, working people think of editing and they think of just the craft, you know, or just the little like red scratches, but often really trying to find, Oh, what are some of those? How how do we go deeper? How do we really connect with people or what, what are some of the underlying uh, messages or the uniqueness that the author has the potential to say and to bring out? Um, how did you go about doing that then? Like, so when getting, getting that kind of guidance sounds like you maybe had to go like a bit kind of internally more, like, how did you, how did you do that sort of deeper work to bring out those themes? I think that the best editors ask good questions. So those questions are a really good starting point to like prompt into that deeper introspection it really helped to dig into my own experience as a starting point as well and to think about the other definitions for example of of home that I've encountered and and that I felt and the things that I've struggled with as uh someone who was my main character's age and who was going through those challenges I remember wanting this book this book really started from the feeling of longing that I felt as an 11 year old 
where I, I really just wanted to escape. You know, I wanted, I was checking the mailbox. I wanted the letter. I just wanted to, to escape. Um, that would be like, yes, some magical destiny awaits you. And then I'm mm-hmm. like, great. I can peace out of this world and fight dragons elsewhere. Um, and initially my first draft was just, just that, like about that sense of longing world sucks. Don't like it here. I'm an orphan. I'm a piece out to another world. Mm. However, the questions help me dig into like the root of why I might've been feeling that way in such a profound sense Mm. and why I was drawn to those stories of adventure and escape and portal fantasies. And I think what I came to is that, um, what I came to is that that was the year that my father and I moved to Canada and it was just the two of us because my mom had to stay behind for work reasons. And my brother was too young to move with us. He was only two at the time. So it's just my dad and I, and it was a new country and a new environment and a new school. And I'd never been to this country before. And it's a lot of loneliness and a lot of homesickness and a lot of feeling really out of place and like jarringly ripped away from uh, a community or from a sense of familiarity mm-hmm. at a time. I, I mean, I love writing for 11 year olds because I feel like it's the time where you're grappling with how to be an adult and growing up and the fact that you are going to have to do that. And you're actually not that far away from having to do that. Mm-hmm but you still want to believe and you're still, mm-hmm. you still want to believe that the letter's going to come. You just can't quite make yourself believe that it, it or you're, or you still want to believe that the letter's going to come, but you're reckoning with the fact that it might not. Right. And that's why I love that age. Cause it's like right on the cusp of like reckoning with some pretty big things. Yeah. And, um, for me, you know, I was, I was reckoning with a big move and, um, feelings of that many immigrants feel in leaving their homes. And that is what led me to those books as an escape and to the strong feelings of longing and all of that extra stuff. Um, yeah. And, and that comes across very beautifully. Obviously you, you share a lot in common that way with your, protagonist with with Lynn with mm-hmm. a lot of those uh details of uh her her mom and baby uh, brother is it like still still in Vietnam and, and being here with with her dad and I found a lot of those details as well so um just relatable to that age in general as well when you feel like you're on the outside or you know you're not the same as the other kids. Maybe you don't have as much money as them or this, you know, the of like that feeling of being kind of different and kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, th- I hope that it's going to be relatable though. It's, I, I hope that it gives company to the kids who find it relatable. I also had to do a lot of questioning and um, introspection about my place as, as a writer and as a Vietnamese writer, because it's really easy to fall into the tradition of writing stories that are similar to the stories that I read, which all feature white protagonists, right? Which is mm-hmm. why so many 
characters in my first draft were white. And then I had to like sit down and, and question why am I writing about white characters when I could not be? And it's just like, no, oh, it doesn't really feel like they fit. And then I'm like, wait, why? And then you have to dig a bit deeper and be like, yeah, that might just be a socialization thing. Mm-hmm. That might just be because I'm so used to not seeing people of color in those stories and like Vietnamese protagonists that I'm like, eh, it doesn't really feel like they fit there, but we do. And I think that takes intention to dismantle those perceptions and be like, yes, I am, I am going to insert myself in this story and I'm going to tell this story in a way that relates to me and my experience. Yeah. So it's, I appreciate you bringing these questions out too, because I think for, for people who are trying to do the same or, you know, to tell their own, to, to represent themselves in some way or also share some of our, personal experiences, bring that into writing in some way, uh, you know, worth noting what you had said before, where it was like, it wasn't just what was I feeling at the time. It, it was also, it sounds like you went into, well, why was I feeling that way? What was going on at, at the time? And what are some of those details that inspired that? And then also, okay, well, what do I, what is my comfort level telling these and why might I be experiencing some discomfort with them and how do I go in and kind of explore that? So it sounds like there was some, like a a lot of kind of deep thinking that you did in order to draw this out. Yeah. I think um, there was a lot of thinking around like, yeah, what, what kind of story do I want to tell and like represent? And also like once we got into more of the changes later on, like I mentioned, she was an, she was an orphan in the initial draft. Uh, and then I think it was my agent was like, I'm done with orphan narratives. Can we not do the whole orphan narrative thing? It's <laughs> <laughs> just so sick of it, especially in fantasy literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I gave her, I gave her a family, but then being a Vietnamese writer, when there are so few Vietnamese children's writers out there, especially, uh, I'm like, I felt a responsibility to also be like, not give her a I felt a responsibility to not give her a bad family. I'm like, I don't want one of the only Vietnamese protagonists to have a really bad family that she wants to escape from, you know, like that doesn't, uh, that's not a great impression of our community and like the love that is within the relationships and families within our communities, Um, which then makes it harder for someone to want to escape when they have a happy family. Mm -hmm. Um, So it changed the whole motivation and just, it it shifted a lot of, a lot of different things. So um, Mm -hmm. we had to talk through all of that. That's very cool. Yeah. Quite the process. Well, it comes across very, uh, very honestly and very, uh, and really, you know, I think in a really relatable way. Um, Were you always, it sounds like since you were young, then you were interested in fantasy. Has this always been your genre? Yes. I mean, I do, I do read everything, but I love middle grade literature. I love fantasy and I love portal fantasies in particular. Um, I, it's kind of a, it is a go-to favorite. I think I will, I I do enjoy everything, but Hmm. It's kind of my go-to favorite. I think you can just get so creative with it. But also, you know, there's so much 
there's so much truth in it too. And it's such a creative way of dealing with the truths that you can't just address straight on in like a contemporary fiction or a nonfiction. Right. Like meaning it gives you, you, you find that it gives you kind of new ways to explore different ideas or, or tensions. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I think maybe the best thing I think I've written is my short story down feathers. And it's, uh, it's set in a world where kids grow wings and the wings are a symbol for for childhood, but like not everyone grows wings and some people keep their wings for longer and some people keep their wings forever. And it started from the feeling of not wanting to grow up and of struggling with how to grow up and to keep that inner child and that belief and that imagination and all the joy and play of being a kid. And I just didn't know how to rep- represent it in any way through creative nonfiction or through contemporary it would have sounded really innate, I think, if I if I had just written like as a child, you struggle with feelings of not wanting to grow up and and it's just so much more fun to like give them wings in a magical fairyland mm. <laughs> instead. And then I said all those things, you know, I, I wrote exactly all those feelings, it just comes out in a much nicer way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I kind of believe that I feel that with, with fiction in general, and, and I love nonfiction too, and I love memoir and, and genres of all kinds, but just even in general, I, I think fiction is such a great way to learn about the world as well. And just other perspectives and experiences. And yes, you can read uh, something that is more uh, memoir and also expositional, like let me teach you about this this topic, and and that's great too. But I I feel like when when you are able to immerse yourself in a in a fictional world, you can get to know somebody and their perspective from a just a a deeper way, a, a really deep way that just pulls you right in. I think it's one of the most amazing things about fiction, honestly. For sure. And I think that is the feeling that I I initially wanted to capture when I set out to write this book. And it it happened because um I uh, <laughs> it happened because I had a weird dream about meeting a fictional character in an auditorium. And it was Annabeth Chase from the Percy Jackson series, which is one of my favorite stories. And Annabeth is amazing and I love her. And I vividly recall the feeling of being in that dream and looking at her. She's on stage at a mic um, and feeling like I'd known her my whole life and feeling just such deep familiarity and connection with a fictional character. And that was, that was the feeling that I, I tried to capture it is about home and it's about the different homes that we have in our physical worlds, but also about the homes that we have within stories as well. Wow. That's so interesting to hear that (laughs) it came from a dream. When, and when was that? When did you have that dream? I think I had the dream in 
it must have been early 2018. So like the year I wrote it, but like several months earlier. And I, I woke up with such a visceral feeling of first connection, but second, then being pulled away from that connection. Because when you leave a story, uh, it feels when you leave a good story, mm-hmm. it feels like you're being ripped away from like yeah. lifeblood. <laughs> yeah, and then the world around you is like sort of the same, but you're all changed and you're like, I just had this big thing happen and like yeah. life is just continuing. Um, so that, that was kind of the piece that tied it together for me. And again, like the first draft of this book was just about escaping into a magical world. So that was, that was what inspired that first draft. And then it just took on a more nuanced view as we added it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so I, you, I mean, you sort of answered this a bit with the, your question about your interest in, in fantasy as a genre, but were you always wanting to write uh, like middle grade or children's books or YA of that nature? Is that kind of always been your your focus or your, your plan? Yes, I always loved children's lit. I don't think I ever grew out of it. And now I don't really believe that that's a thing anymore. But I, I children's lit has always been the comfort read, the joy. And, you know, it's when I fell in love with reading and when I fell in love with stories. So I think it has that special place in my heart. And also in, in a lot of people, I think if you ask people their favorite books or like books that have meant a lot to them or shaped them, a lot of people do say children's books mm-hmm. or middle grade books. And uh, I think they have a lot of potential to shape a life when a life is that young. So I do love that about them. I don't think, I don't think I'll ever write fiction for adults, but I do think that I will go into some memoir type creative nonfiction mm-hmm. adult thing in okay. the future, but that is many years down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Well, I love that. I love that genre as well. <laughs> What's it like? So once once the book, since it's been published, what has it been like? And has you, have you um, had to do a lot with marketing the book? Like what? Uh, I think a lot of folks they they tend to think about right getting getting the book written, maybe getting it published, but not as much what comes next. So can you give us a little insight into that? For sure. And I would say it's really person dependent. Uh, and it is, it does feel like a whole different job. So I, you know, I want to make this my career and I'm investing a lot of time into it, which is why I'm full time authoring right now. I don't have anything else that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm, it means that my schedule is pretty packed with like school visits and visiting bookstores um some social media I would say that a lot of people are very good at social media and I'm mediocre at best on Instagram (laughs) and less than mediocre on every other platform (laughs) it's just I think you're gonna have to like ask what um, I think you kind of have to ask what 
kind of marketing or like promotion type activity brings you the most joy or like feels more most natural or like feels most fulfilling. And for some people it will be TikTok. For me, it's really talking with kids. I really enjoy that like the force, the great force to sixes, especially I'm like, we always have a blast. It's always a great time. They're engaged. They're asking questions. They're so present. And I've really enjoyed just being around children more. I've really missed it. I've, I used to work with kids and stopped when the pandemic hit. So I really, I really miss being in classrooms and that's what brings me, that's what fills my cup. So I've been doing that, which is largely just been me organizing those visits on my own. Um, Harbor is doing a lot of publicity in, in other ways. So signing me up for festivals and such, but otherwise, um, my days do look like a lot of emailing, (laughs) 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 applying for grants, trying to write the next book. And, um, you know, it all feels a little hectic, but it's, it's good. I mean, I, I try to remind myself and it's not that hard to remind myself because, you know, I, I'm really enjoying what I do, but I do try to be intentional about reminding myself that this is exactly what I wanted. Like, this is the life I wanted. This is the career that I chose. And I think it can be so easy to look to the next thing. Like right now I'm like, oh my God, I need to get a next draft out. And it's stressful because writing a book takes a lot out of you. It's like, it's like, it's like ripping this thing that feels very violent. It's like (laughs) pulling out this story within you that takes a lot of energy and emotion Mm -hmm. (laughs) to actually, um, exercise it from you (laughs) so it's a I'm I'm thinking about the next one and I'm thinking about future things but I also want to be mindful of the fact that I'm going into bookstores and being like can I sign copies of my book and that is a beautiful thing to be able to do and I feel very fortunate that that I can do it yeah yeah that's wonderful and taking that time I mean I think that's just it's such a good exercise for all of us in general with the the things that we, that we do. Cause you know, it's so often that you reach a goal of some kind or accomplish something, or even just to put something out, to have something written, to have something done. And then we just move on to the next one and to be able to take that moment and just appreciate it and be aware of, okay, you know, you wanted this, you got here, mm-hmm. you're doing it. Sure. That that process you mentioned that like just the reality of writing, um, what what is that like for you? How do you get words on a page? Do you set aside a certain time each day to sit down and write? Is it that kind of uh, a regular routine, or is it a little more relaxed? What's your process like? I tend to go really hard on first draft writing, so. I'm flying to Portugal tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. And the idea is for me to get a first draft out in the next month that I'm going to be at an Airbnb mostly by myself. And I really needed the, the time and space and like the distance because 
my life in Toronto, again, it's just, it's a lot of admin Mm -hmm. and it's a lot of talking to people, all of which is great, but it's a really different mindset than like sitting down with a creative project um, that's Mm -hmm. close to your heart that like takes emotion to put out that does require, you know, I, I think I wouldn't say that writing is just inspiration because so much of it is discipline, but it does require the creative space to allow for the inspiration as well. So my first draft writing process is like 2000 words a day, every day. Doesn't matter how long it, I usually, um, yeah. So my first draft writing process is usually like around 2000 words a day, every day for about a month long process worked really well last time. However, before that, um, I draft up, like I do a lot of brainstorming. Uh, and I'm also mindful of, you know, hibernation time as I've, I've heard it called, you know, you can't just be working all the time. And especially for creative projects, it takes time for the ideals, ideas to sit and for them to bloom organically. So in the past months, I mean, even longer than that, really. I've, I've been brainstorming a lot. I've been just drafting out like pages of notes that are filled with doodles and charts and just random ideas and phrases. And they're kind of everywhere and it's all very messy. Um, but it gives me a bit of a structure to go off of so that I go into the month being like, this is the project that I'm working on and this is what I'm writing about. Um, beyond that, it just kind of flows from there. I think it takes a lot of reminding myself that first drafts are not perfect and it's better to get them out on paper, which is something that I tell everyone. And then it's really hard when I'm in front of the word doc and I'm like, oh, but it doesn't sound perfect here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, we can say it till, you know, we're blue in the face, right? I do the same thing for, for folks always just trying to get that shitty first draft out and just to you know do it again just get get it down but it is really hard to do sometimes it still requires a, a it requires you to just continue to get stuff out even when you really aren't sure or it feels like there's nothing yeah, definitely the the shitty first drafts is a big philosophy that I adhere to, but it can be so hard in the moment. And I have to remind myself also, and I, I know this because I just did this whole process, that the first draft is so different from what it's like, but it it matters so much to have that first draft there. And it's really just the key that unlocks the next book because you can't start anywhere if you don't have that first draft. Right. So, uh, I really think that that's when I, when I go hard in terms of like power writing, uh, sometimes there are days where it takes me just, uh, an hour or so to write 2000 words. And there are days where it takes the whole day. So that's what the space is for. That's what the time is for. And I, I know that and I'm dedicating it to that, but, um, for revisions, revisions are a bit messier. Revisions are a bit messier, but I also feel like, um, I've had to do them, you know, in between work and such, and Mm -hmm. I can't really afford to, you know, just 
peace off to Portugal every time I need to get any writing done. So um, that's really just reserved for a, a first draft kind of write. And the rest of it, I I have to fit in where I fit it in. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate you uh, really making that point that that number of words can take a, a long time sometimes and a short time times because that's really the nature of it and sometimes with clients that I work with and helping them to write and and produce work if we're working on a book or we're working on uh long form content speeches and stuff you know sometimes it it comes so quickly and then other times the process can feel kind of agonizing a lot of back and forth a lot of time and it's a question I get a lot as well even just about things like blogging, just regular writing, how long should this take? Because I think uh, for a lot of folks, especially if they're new and it, it isn't a really developed muscle, it's like, yes, that can take longer and it can go quicker once you, you get used to it. But also sometimes writing takes time and it just takes what it takes. And I, I do want to resist um, comparison as well, because I feel like I really... I and everybody else in the world uh, really suffer from that because uh, I'll look at, uh, like, Roshni Choksi put out, like, 10 books in five years since her debut. Rebecca Kwong did her master's at Oxford and then another master's at Cambridge and is in her PhD at Yale and has put out, like, five books. And Babel is big. It is a big book. <laughs> I don't know how that girl sleeps. I don't know how she does it. Yeah. Um, but I really want to resist, you know, comparing myself to to that because, you know, we don't all operate on the same schedule. There's no should. You know, Madeline Miller has only written like two full-length books and they're fantastic books. Erin Morgenstern, also fantastic books. There's only like two of them. So mm -hmm. uh, everyone, everyone works at their own pace and it doesn't necessarily... Uh, mean that you have to emulate that that's right yeah yeah it's a really good point and just to be able to keep going you know just if because if we compare and think well I'm never going to get there and you just want to throw it away it, it really it's like the goal is just to be able to keep going mm -hmm, for sure which I think that's the most important part about the writing process is you kind of just have to keep going <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> it's like this is it is what it is what can, what can I say <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you have any advice for people who uh might be working a different kind of job um and they have this dream of writing a book you know maybe ideally getting it published um maybe children's work in particular, but maybe that doesn't matter. Um, who are working on something. They got a they've got a a book in them. Um have any advice based on your experience? I usually say to not be afraid of the first stress, which we talked about, but honestly keep going is keep going really sums it up because you get better as you write. Like you become a better writer. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school or when I first started writing, um, I, I get embarrassed looking back at a lot of that stuff because it's not good, but also like 
I was just starting out. So is it supposed to be good? You know, I really reject the idea of talent or like genius. I, I don't like that term. I don't like what it implies because it really diminishes how much work goes into that and kind of is an excuse to not support people. I think when I was younger, I, I heard a lot of, well, some people are meant to be writers and you know, I don't know if you're one of them. And it's, it's remarkably discouraging, but also just like untrue mm-hmm. because you get a lot better. And the people that I think by name in my dedication in particular, uh, my grade eight teacher, Mark and my grade nine and 12 English teacher, Tim, those are the people who sat with me after school and at lunches and read my shitty first drafts and mm-hmm. my, I, mean, I went through a poetry phase. I'm not, I'm not a poet. I don't consider myself to be a poet. I went through a poetry phase in high school and I was like making my high school teacher read all these bad poems. And I look back on that and I'm like, I don't know how he had the patience to do that. I think it's a requirement for high school though. You have to go through a poetry phase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he encouraged me anyway. And he read the shitty poetry and he read the bad love letters or like confessions that I was, you know, pouring out my heart, my high school heart out at the time. He read my first drafts of new novels, fantasy novels that I was working on at the time. Um, and then gradually he, he read writing where he was like, this is really good actually. And like, I remember moments of writing that I gave him. None of this was classwork, by the way. This is just extra work. Mm -hmm. Um, Where it did start to shift, it was actually first year in university and like Tim in particular, I met in grade nine. So it took like five years of him reading my bachelor's Mm -hmm. work before the piece where he was like, that that was the real clicky moment where I'm like, this is is really good. You've got something here. Um, So it, it takes time to build that up. And that's why Keep Going does sum it all up but it it means a lot because you get better and um genius is false and i hope that you know i'm very i'm very grateful for the people who saw that in me and um supported me when they saw the potential uh mm-hmm. and not the actual product mhm yeah what kinds of things do you share with the the kids that you meet as you're kind of doing your like book tours in, in school? Uh, I share like the the part about like starting writing in grade six because I feel like it's relatable. <laughs> and then um, sometimes I'll show them some of my old work. Uh, and then I, I read a bit either from the first few pages or like from a section in the forest that I like. It does kind of get tiring to read the same passage over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and I talk a bit about um, how I got the idea for the book. And then we usually move into Q&As, which is really fun. And most of the time is taken up by Q&As. I much prefer that. Mm-hmm. I get questions about um, next books. I get questions about money. Um, how much money does an author make? Um, sometimes I get, I, I get questions about pop culture too. People are like, she watched Shadow and Bone. Um, 
Who's your favorite crow? Who's your favorite Percy Jackson character? Uh (laughs) Um, And uh, sometimes they're just really random also. So, I mean, I just, I enjoy chatting with the kids. I enjoy being there and just hoping um, that they, they see the author profession is a little more relatable and accessible because Uh I didn't really meet that many authors when I was a kid. I can't really, I know Kenneth Opal answered an email once and that was very exciting. Uh, But beyond that, I don't think I really talked to people who were publishing mainstream or authoring full-time. And you grow up with a lot of misconceptions about what the career is. So those are things that I try to break down a bit and I try to be transparent about. Um, I know that one thing that I really didn't like hearing or don't like hearing in retrospect is when people would say like, as an author, you're either like starving, no money, or you're like JK Rowling. And I wish that people would stop using JK Rowling as the only example for transphobia reasons, but also for the fact that most writers are not her and still Mm -hmm. manage to live normal life (laughs) right Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of people out there who are writing full-time and like living their lives doing it Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying to to drop everything and be a writer I think you know I kind of had to ease myself into that process a bit and like get my footing and um it's not it's not a drop everything and go be an artist but it's more that like being an artist is a perfectly normal career and sustainable career mm-hmm. to have. Yeah. Uh, and I wish that I saw the middle a bit more and I wish that um, people had different comparisons and there's so many wonderful thriving authors out there and it's a career like any other. Yeah. I really love that. I think that that middle uh, position is, is missed a lot in uh, career talk and in general, um, especially for young people and not just kids, but young people and, you know, in their twenties and starting things out. My, um, my husband uh, went back to school to be an artist. He got his MFA uh, in the pandemic and is living and working as a full-time artist and you know of course working as an artist doesn't just mean getting to make your art it also means yeah applying for grants and doing sort of art related or art adjacent work on the side with skills that he has and you know working with other artists and you know you find a way to to kind of pull things together but that in that area as well there's this idea of like either you got to get famous or you're going to be starving artist as opposed to how can you make a career with this by, you know, bringing different pieces together and, and doing so in a way that is sustainable and allows you to do what you love, but it's not necessarily this like hyper idealized, you know, like, yeah, drop everything. And either it's a total failure or a massive success. Like, and I feel this way as a freelancer as, as well, you know, there is a way to figure these things out and to find a way that's going to work for you. And you talked about pace before as well, like the commitment that it takes, but also, you know, you have to find a way to do it in, in a way that is going to work for you. And I don't think we hear much about, okay, what does this actually look like? How might you actually make that 
work and what might a quote unquote normal or, or like middle road look like for this? For sure. I mean, I love that reframing and I, I think it's so important. It's such a important way to rethink about what lives look like and what careers look like. Um, like for example, um, in writing, like we don't, we don't get paid on a biweekly scale, but, and so a lot of people don't consider it sustainable or like a real job for that, but you know, I get paid enough to live on and it just, it just doesn't come as an auto deposit into my yeah. bank account every two weeks. <laughs> it just looks a little different, but it's, yeah. um, you know, I, I did have one manager once tell me that, um, every job comes with different stresses and you kind of have to pick the stress that you want. And yeah, I, I feel very strongly that despite the challenges and like the admin and the business side of this work, like this is, this is the stress that I want. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very clear about that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, uh, last question before we, we wrap up, you've mentioned a number of books throughout this conversation, but what, what was your favorite book as a kid? I really love the Oz series. Most people don't know that there's like 12 of them or like 14 of them, but I read all of them, not just the Wizard of Oz. And uh, that was, you know, very much shaped the whole portal fantasy narrative. And my book, No Place Like Home, obviously No Place Like Home, a reference to Wizard of Oz, there's Dorothy's line of there's no place like home. And a retelling in some ways, like an immigrant retelling of The Wizard of Oz. So I love that series. I would say um, children's books that I came to, like maybe a little bit later in life, but uh, are so special and I love them. And they are classics. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones. Also, not everyone knows it's a book, but it's a fantastic book. I love it so much. Uh, and The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making by Catherine M. Valente is also, that's the book I wish I, that's the book mm-hmm. I wish I wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a children's book about um, a little girl named September who goes on a, a flying leopard to fairyland. Amazing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lynn. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been an interesting yeah, insight into your your uh, process as a writer and your experience as well, and your experience to to uh, becoming the the person that your eleven year old self would want to be. It's really lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was lovely. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Storytelling with Heart podcast. Want to turn your thoughts into leadership and your ideas into words that make a difference? Find me and discover more free resources at www.camilledeputter.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to my email newsletter where I share stories, free tools, and other storytelling guidance. And never forget, your story matters. Your story matters.